Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I share two related talks from the 10 News Live ISOL Foundation Virtual Conference on Human-Oriented Leadership Styles held on January 12, 2021 in India. Namaskar, welcome to 10 News Network. Welcome to uh, 10 News Live ISOL Foundation, Swami Vivekananda, 158th birth anniversary commemoration. It's a first virtual conference on human-oriented leadership styles on the occasion of Swamiji's, Swami Vivekananda's birth anniversary, held from India, Tuesday, 12th January 2021, IST, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. It's a pleasure to have with us Professor Con Becker, Dean Regent University, University School of Divinity. So wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Professor Jonathan Westover, Chair, Organizational Leadership De Department, Utah Valley University, all across from the United States of America. Thank you, Professor Jonathan Westover. Thank you so much. And thank you for the privilege, dear colleagues, uh, that I can be with you today on this very important day and to have this great opportunity to learn together. Uh, today, for a few moments, I would like to share on um, the value of humility in leadership. I'm going to share from my own faith tradition uh, within a Western context. And uh, thank you so much for the Swami that just spoke before. Uh, it was wonderful to learn so many wonderful insights within it and that we can come indeed together. Today, for a few moments, I want to speak about the problem of work. And I think we all recognize intensely that something is seriously wrong in our organizations today. Many people suffer from what I call meaningless work. The fact that they work and they're not entirely sure why is it that they work. Um, uh, the great Western leader, Albert Schweitzer, once referred to this as a sleeping sickness of the soul. Its symptoms are a loss of vision, community, morality, compassion, and meaning. And here, I think it's important for us to ask a number of questions. Is there more to life than money, power, and position? Why do we lead? Why do we work? Why are we here? And I think one of the most foundational questions that leaders must ask for followers, and actually, in fact, I think everybody in the world should ask this question, um, is it possible to work and have joy? 
Can we find joy in organizations? Uh, in the Christian tradition, there was a great theologian by the name of Thomas Aquinas. And Thomas very famously said, there can be no joy in living without joy in work. And I do believe that it's one of the primary roles of leaders to help their followers find joy in work again. So today, just for a few seconds, I would like to address four particular items. Firstly, the problem that we encounter with work, and then maybe from a Judeo-Christian perspective, explore what was the original purpose of work, and then identify what I believe the major problem that keeps us from having joy at work, and then just a few thoughts on how we can lead others to have not only joy in existence, but joy in work. Firstly, we need to understand that we suffer, and this is particularly true, true within the Western context, of a number of conflicting ideas about work. Uh, Oscar Wilde, a famous, uh, uh, maybe infamous um, uh, uh, playwright, used to say the following, that work is the refuge of people who have nothing better to do. Can you believe what a silly statement he made? Uh, but it's also true within Western philosophy. Bertrand Russell, a very famous Western philosopher, was, once said that one of the symptoms of an approaching nervous breakdown is the belief that one's work is important. Therefore, in short, when it comes to work, we have a conflict of vision. One vision says that work could be a source of happiness, the other that it is a necessary evil. The question is, is there indeed another way? Within the Christian Catholic tradition, uh, there's a wonderful organization that was started by Joseph Marie Escriva called Opus Dei. And Opus Dei, of course, in Latin, uh, means the work of God. And Jose famously said, put a supernatural meaning behind your ordinary work and you would have sanctified your work and you will find joy in work. So what is the original meaning or purpose of work? Now, today I am speaking um, from a Judeo-Christian perspective. And within a Judeo-Christian philosophy of work, it is interesting to look at the Hebrew word for, worship, for work. Um, the Hebrew word for work is the word avodah. And avodah is an interesting work because in the Hebrew language, it is the word that is used for both worship and work. Have you ever thought about the connection? Could worship be work? Could work be worship? So this root word in Hebrew means both to work and to serve. And possibly this idea that one could transform our work into worship. Uh, Gerald Manley Hopkins famously wrote the following. He said, when man is in God's grace and free from mortal sin, then everything he or she does, so long as the person gives God glory. It's not only praise, says it gives God glory, but smiting on an anvil, sawing a beam, whitewashing a wall, driving horses, sweeping, scouring, everything gives God glory. Uh, if being in his grace, you do it as your duty. All work indeed could be worship. But now 
the question is, what keeps us from having joy in work? In the Christian tradition, and especially in the monastic Christian tradition, which is a little bit younger than uh, the monastic traditions within India and within um, other Eastern religions, and, and, and this monastic tradition really started within the 3rd, 4th, and 5th centuries, there was a teaching about the seven uh, prime sins. And it's quite interesting, and, and you all are familiar with uh, the seven deadly sins, starting with pride and ending all the way to anger. And, and these are sins that we often see in organizational leaders. But what is interesting is that originally there were not seven sins, but eight. Today, I would like to focus on the eighth sin or the eighth deadly sin. And this, of course, is the sin of acedia. And Assyria, um, the early Christian monastic thinkers, really identified as the major sin that keeps us from finding meaning in our work. Assyria um, is, of course, from a Greek word, akedia, which, which literally means not to care. The best definition of Assyria is moral sloth. And it simply means that we are not spending enough time carefully thinking about the world that we live in. We are not asking deeper questions. In essence, we do not care. The scholar Dorothy Sayers have worked extensively on the problem of acedia and as it relates to work and leadership. And Dorothy writes, um, the person that struggles with acedia is the one who believes in nothing, cares for nothing, seeks to know nothing, interferes with nothing, enjoys nothing, hates nothing, finds purpose in nothing, lives for nothing, and remains alive because there's nothing for which it will die. And often um, our obsession with money, power, prestige, and privilege is a sign of this prime sin, acedia. Now, the question today, as I start to conclude, is what is the answer to acedia? What is the answer to moral sloth? Um, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, the answer is simple. And the answer is very simply humility. Reagan Sutterfield, a great scholar that studies humility in organizational leadership, writes, he says, I believe the answer to this problem of acedia in the workplace is humility. Now, what's interesting, folks, is that in um, at least the Western tradition, the word humility comes from a Latin word that's connected with the word human. It comes from the Latin word humus, which means earth. In the Judeo-Christian tradition, it says that man was created from earth, from the dust of the ground. And so loneliness or humility is that connection, not only with loneliness and with the ground, but a deep connection with what does it mean to be human. And so the answer is to practice humility and leadership. Now, a quick question. How do we develop humility? Humility is not a gift. We're not born with it. It is something that is learned. And in the Christian tradition, and especially the Christ, some Christian monastic traditions, there is a way to humility. 
Benedict of Nursia, who many consider to be the father of Christian monasticism in the 6th century, wrote a rule for monastics. And in that rule, he speaks of a 12-step system to develop humility. Very quickly, I would like to take us through that list and appropriate it for organizational leadership. Um, and um, I've written quite extensively about um, what I would call the Benedictine 12 step toward organizational leadership humility. In essence, one can think of this as AA for pride, 12 steps to combat pride. Rule one for leaders, um, recognize God, respect God, understand that all leadership is ultimately um, under uh, the authority of a higher power. Step two, reject your personal desires. Humble leaders curb their own desires for fame and achievement, ever aware of the possibilities of pride and arrogance. Step three, submit to leaders. Humble leaders readily follow and obey those placed over them in um, organizations. Step four, be steadfast. Humble leaders willingly turn the other cheek in situations of conflict and always work towards peace and harmony. Rule five, be transparent. Humble leaders are honest and transparent by their own limitations and weaknesses. Step six, be content with where you are. Humble leaders try to be content in their current positions, jobs, and general situation of life, and so not to use their leadership as next steps um, in their own quest for fame. Step seven, see yourself correctly. Humble leaders adopt the disciplines of internal reflection and do not stick to blame to, stick, to place the blame on others. Step eight, stay within boundaries. Humble leaders obey all the organizational rules, not just the letter, but also the spirit. Rule nine, control your tongue. Humble leaders understand that no words from a leader is neutral. As we have seen recently in the United States, when leaders use their words to incite others to violence, it is not humility. Rule 10 or step 10, avoid mindless frivolity. Humble leaders consciously seek to cultivate humility and seek what does this mean in organizational setting specifically for their followers. Step 11, speak plainly and clearly. Humble leaders talk in, talk in a low voice, speak gently and with kindness to everyone in organization. And lastly, step 12, final step, have a humble posture. Humble leaders act humble, not only in appearance, but as well as in their heart. I do believe, dear colleagues, if we can learn to cultivate ultimately humility and leadership, we can help our followers to find great joy in their work and recognize that work could be worship. Thank you so much, dear colleagues. I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. 
What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here with all of you. And I really appreciate uh, the insights that have been shared thus far, uh, which resonate so deeply with me uh, and connect with both my experience and uh, the research that I'm engaged in uh, in my everyday work. I, I think it's it's really important for us to always look for this connection between meaning, purpose, spirituality and work. Uh, and, and so I, I think the, the last talk was spot on and I really hope to build a little bit off of, uh, some of the ideas that have been shared. Uh, I wanted to share my screen with you, uh, so I can, um, share some visuals. Okay. Wonderful. Um, so again, uh, it's such a wonderful honor to be invited to be part of this, this, group and to share some of my thoughts. And I wanted to focus my comments uh, this morning or this evening in uh, around the idea of servant leadership and the role of servant leadership and fostering that mentality uh, and how it's necessary in the future of work. I wanted to uh, quickly just mention that the ideas that I'm, I'm drawing from for this presentation come from my recent book, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, which I, I feel also fits quite nicely with uh, the focus and theme of for today. Here you can see my conception of the intersection between leadership and service and why it's so important for us to foster humility, as has already been shared, and to foster this servant leadership mindset. So for me, leadership at its core is all about serving and empowering those you encounter in various leadership roles. And the only way you can do that is starting with um, deep personal self-knowledge and understanding. We have to do the deep spiritual work of critical self-reflection, of mindfulness on a continual basis in a sustained fashion in order for us to really truly be connected to ourselves. And if we can't be connected to ourselves, the chances of us having uh, authentic empathy uh, and being able to develop trust relationships with those around us is, is very small, if not impossible. And once we understand ourselves, we have the opportunity to better understand others and those we lead and serve. And it's a reciprocal process. So the more we understand others, the more we understand ourselves and so forth. And with that as a foundation, then as leaders, we can develop other corresponding skills. There's there's lots of things that leaders need to do in the day-to-day. -day. And so we can develop those skills, those abilities, those capabilities and competencies. Uh, and then over time, we can 
apply them and learn in an iterative fashion so that we can become more effective in our management, our administration, and our leadership. But in all of this, it it needs to create feedback loops so that we can learn from both our successes and our failures and the successes and failures of those we lead and serve. And then collectively, we lift each other and we're able to learn and grow and develop into our potential and ultimately achieve really great things. Um, so I feel like this is the foundation of, of everything that it means to be a leader. I also briefly wanted to share with you a Korean proverb. I lived for several years uh, in various Asian countries. And as a young man, for the first time I lived in South Korea, this was my first experience uh, being in a predominantly Buddhist and Confucius uh, culture, uh, having been born and raised in the United States in a Judeo-Christian tradition. And I was so fascinated with the culture and with the meaning that uh, was derived from so many important uh, idioms and proverbs and just the language of the Korean people. Early on, I, I learned about this proverb, frog in a well, and it really resonated with me. Uh, for, for those of you who are familiar with Plato's allegory of the cave, it's a very similar meaning. And essentially, if, if we think of ourselves at the, as a frog at the bottom of a well, we are, if we're born and raised down there, that's our entire world. We don't know any different. So, uh, all of us are like frogs at the bottom of a well. Uh, it's safe. It's secure. It's our upbringing. And it's the values espoused by our, our families and our communities and our faith traditions and even the cultures within our workplaces. Um, but over time, the, the dark, cold, um, trapped nature of us being at the bottom of a well starts to dissipate as we become connected with other people and get familiar with difference. Uh, and essentially as we mature, as we, as we grow and we learn and we interact with others, we start to climb out of the well. We start to emerge from the well. And many individuals, once they get to the top of the well, they look around and they see that in fact, they're not the only well. There's, there's wells all over the landscape. Each in, uh, each well has a little frog peeking its little head out over the top of the well. And for the first time, the frog might realize that their reality is just one of many different experiences in this world. And for the first time, they realize that there's a vastness uh, in the world that they had never known before. Um, some frogs get nervous uh, and they retreat back down into their well. They retreat back down into their dogma, into their ideology, uh, while others um, decide they want to go explore. And... Sometimes it results in, in frogs going into other wells uh, and essentially tra trading dogma and ideology for ideology, uh, but still other frogs embrace the messiness, the complexity, the nuance of living in a complex world with people that come from vastly different backgrounds, and they learn to live within that um, that condition and thrive within it. And it's my belief that both personally and within the workplace, uh, as we foster a servant leadership mindset, that it's essential for us to get outside of ourselves, 
to get outside of our um, the limited nature of our thoughts and our perceived reality so that we have a, the potential of recognizing and understanding um, the backgrounds, the experiences of all of those we lead and serve and thereby develop meaningful relationships, uh, having the opportunity to empower our people and allowing them to do their very best work. Uh, that's that's my hope and goal for all the students I teach, for all the, the leaders I work with as a consultant. And ultimately, I, I hope that everyone will find uh, that kind of success. This leads us to the idea of the value of diversity. And I don't want to take more than just a moment on this. But of course, in the, the diversity wheel, we recognize that we have those more obvious forms of diversity, um, which are important. We need to recognize but some of the most important work we do in diversity, equity, and inclusion is at those deeper levels where we, we want to create organizations that, that genuinely and authentically value each individual for who they are and allow and create a safe space of meaning, purpose, and belonging so that everyone has the opportunity to contribute in meaningful ways. Um, I, I think that's a foundational outcropping of this whole idea of frog in a well, that we need to learn to value diversity and we need to create inclusive cultures and organizations of belonging, meaning, and purpose. So how does this all connect back to work? Um, we all know that the nature of work has been shifting uh, dramatically uh, in response to various geopolitical, socioeconomic, and tech technological shifts uh, in the world. And just speaking for a moment about technological innovations, we know that and it's been highlighted by this COVID pandemic that we are quickly moving um, towards embracing technologies um, that are going to fundamentally change the very nature and experience that we have with work. And as was mentioned previously, what does that mean for the meaning of work that we have? If I'm working remotely and I rarely, if ever, physically connect with uh, and I'm in the same physical location with my colleagues uh, and within a physical office space with my um, with my organization, what does that mean for my purpose? What does that mean for my connection to company culture? Uh, and what do organizations need to do to better foster uh, meaning and belonging and purpose with their people, even in a virtual world uh, that we've been living in uh, during this pandemic? Here you see some of the skills that I believe are needed for the future of work. And just to, to briefly mention a couple, um, because I don't have time to go into all these in any sort of depth. Um, one thing that I think is very vital is uh, along the outer ring, you can see the main drivers of some of these shifts in the nature of work. Um, within the, the inner circle, you can see all these different um, skills that are needed. And I believe that transdisciplinarity is one of those core elements that's going to be essential for effective leaders in the future of work. We need more individuals that get out of outside of their silos who are capable with a servant leadership mindset to authentically connect with people from various backgrounds who can synthesize uh, enormous amounts of information um, and bring about 
productive, collaborative, interdisciplinary and transdisciplinary um, work teams to drive innovation and success. Uh, if we want organizations that are up to the challenge of the complex world that we live in and how quickly things are shifting in the future of work, uh, then I think that's one of those essential skills that will absolutely be necessary moving forward. Something else I wanted to share in connection uh, specifically with uh, the topic for today. Um, there's so much to be learned from various faith traditions. Um, and here I just wanted to share uh, very briefly some of the core values um, and commitments, uh, even within the humanist uh, tradition. As we focus on human-centered leadership, uh, it is so essential that we do things like develop empathy, that we have greater global awareness, humility has already been mentioned, that we take on uh, personal responsibility for our actions, for our words, and how those influence those around us. We need to have a social justice orientation because there's so many challenges and so many individuals that are hurting uh, and struggling, and we have the potential to be change makers. Uh, to help improve their situation and to make life better so everyone has an opportunity to live uh, a life of dignity. Uh, and ultimately, whether we're talking about leaders within an organization striving to uh, respect their people and treat everyone with dignity and respect uh, within their team, or we're talking about change agents and leaders within communities and within societies, it's it's essential that we have uh, leaders that have an ethical and moral center who fight for and are willing to stand for those who are marginalized and may uh, be the most vulnerable among us. This all leads us to a variety of questions for organizational leaders. Uh, ultimately, leadership across organizations, across industries, um, they need to be thinking very carefully about what does the future of work mean for me, for my organization, for my people? How do I connect um, a servant, an authentic servant leadership approach to uh, making sure that my people feel heard, they feel valued, they feel um, that they have the opportunity to truly contribute within the organization connecting their meaning, their purpose to the organization's meaning and purpose to drive uh, great outcomes uh, for organizations. Uh, and with that, I believe I'm about out of time. So I'm going to go ahead and stop sharing. Um, I, I very much appreciate um, the opportunity to share just for a few minutes some of my thoughts and uh, appreciate the opportunity for a further dialogue. Thank you. So, uh time has come uh, to for the propose a formal vote of thanks and it gives immense pleasure to propose the ISOL Foundation uh, vote of thanks Swami Vivekananda's 150th birth anniversary to organize human oriented leadership style virtual conference on the occasion of Swamiji's birthday we at the outset ISOL Foundation thanks Professor Con Becker Dean Regent University School of Divinity for graciously accepting an invitation and sharing this plethora of knowledge and wisdom on today's occasion. It gives momentous uh, pleasure and uh, 
occasion with this momentous pleasure to thank Professor Jonathan Westover, Chair, Organizational Leadership Department, Utah Valley University for excellent presentation, sharing his insights, invaluable beliefs uh, in today's conference. Thank you so much, ISOL Foundation, and thank you so much, 10 News Network audience, for joining us and sparing us their valuable time with us on today's occasion. Thank you, one and all. Jai Hind. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week. Check out our new weekly LinkedIn newsletter, Alchemizing Human Capital, exploring industry trends via original research and interviews with executives and thought leaders from across the globe. We look forward to having you join us.